What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TanmanBaseballFan.com, and I'm not really sure exactly where I'm going to go with this podcast, so I just figure I'd do a little bit of a catch-up and uh, you know, tell you a few stories which have been kind of fun, and maybe we'll just kind of see how this goes and where this goes. Uh, so a couple things. Number one, the contest that I was running about a week ago now or two weeks ago. It seems like uh, seems like we've been in January for like four months, um, but uh, it's finally over. And uh, so congratulations to uh, the winner, Michael. And uh, I sent off a card as well as uh, my signed book and he uh, finally got it and just uh, very happy with it. So congratulations once again, if you're listening out there, Michael. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy the read. And, uh, and by the way, thank you all for checking out my uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash tanmanbaseballfan. Um, it was a thousand subscriber giveaway. The movement, the contest did not uh, really uh, provide me with the movement needed to get to a thousand uh, subscribers. However, um, creating more content did. So... Um, I'll try to be more proactive on that when it comes to uh, creating videos. Uh, I did a number of videos, also like my uh, Jose Canseco uh, collection. I did a four-part video series. And just yesterday, I posted a top 50 Jose Canseco baseball cards in my collection. So if you want to check that out, that is an abbreviated uh, version of the four-part video series where you can see nothing but the best of the best um, it's a, it's a great video in my opinion, anyway, if you, if you love Canseco cards anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, longer than I thought it was going to be It's probably about 40 minutes or so. I, I was thinking it might be like much more abbreviated, but you know, it just didn't turn out that way. Um, I actually, uh, told a lot of people in the four part video series, I thought, you know, Hey guys, listen, get your, uh, you know, get your wife or girlfriend Friday night, uh, light some candles, uh, pop some popcorn uh, and just uh, go on the couch with her and, and and fire up YouTube and watch my four-part video series. There's nothing more than uh, more romantic than watching uh, YouTube videos of Jose Canseco baseball cards. <laughs> and uh, you know who knows? You might want to consider uh, popping the question if you're not married to this person yet. It's just uh, just you know, you got to set the tone just right. <laughs> But uh, anyways, so that was kind of uh, that was fun. I had a blast in these videos. I'm now at like a thousand and sixteen um, subscribers, and hopefully we'll get to more. Um, not really sure. I don't really do a whole lot of controversial stuff, so my my YouTube channel is probably never going to skyrocket or anything like that. But I, I enjoy cataloging what I do and what I pick up, and uh, you know, kind of telling information to you about what I learn about this uh, this hobby and the sport and everything. So. Um, anyways, it's been, it's been really fun. Um, I've enjoyed building the YouTube channel. I've enjoyed doing this, uh, this podcast as well, but again, check it out. Please subscribe youtube.com forward slash tan man baseball fan. Um, okay. So, uh, let's see going forward. Let's see what have we done. So this past week, we actually just got back from vacation. Uh, we went to Florida and we, uh, checked out Star Wars, and I'll tell you why we went star, uh, to Star Wars, uh, to Disney World, the Star Wars version. The reason why is because that was a bucket list item that we had for our son Atticus. Atticus, y'all, like he is like the biggest Star Wars fan that you'll ever meet. He loves Star Wars. Ever since he was five, he talked about Star Wars, and so 
he actually, we didn't allow him to watch the actual movies until he was 13. So, you know, we're talking like, you know, seven years or so that he was this hardcore fan of Star Wars without actually seeing the movies. <laughs> so, and then, so he watched them and just fell in love with those as well. And, uh, you know, of course he loves the video games and there's some trading cards and, and all that. He's not much of a collector, so to speak, but he likes playing the video games. He likes watching the movies and the Mandalorian and everything that comes along with it. So, um, uh, when we found out years ago that Disney World was opening up the Star Wars theme park uh, section, um, Holly and I just knew we had to take him to this. And so we didn't realize at the time that when we did, we we're going to have a 20 month old toddler in tow as well. <laughs> so that, my gosh, y'all, we completely overestimated um, our ability to go on a vacation with a toddler. <laughs> it was, uh, it, th there was not much rest to be had, but um, it's okay. We, we, uh, we made it. We, uh, we were able to go to the Star Wars section for, for Atticus and he had a blast. We all had a blast. It was great. It was a, is a fantastic time. We were able to go to the beach and Beckett, he just, oh man, he loves sand. He loves digging. He didn't like, if he had it his way, he would still be there digging on the beach right now. So, um, which by the way, I put up some pictures and videos. If anybody's interested in that sort of thing on my Facebook, um, I think if you search Tanner.Jones.52, um, I think that's what it is. I don't know why they put the 52. I guess I'm the 52nd person on Facebook with the name Tanner Jones. Um, anyways, if you want to look me up there, I post memes all the time. Um, I will get back to that in a second here. But um, uh, the vacation, we, what we also did was we went to this dinosaur store. And I'm sorry, y'all. This is like nothing to do with baseball yet. Hang on. I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, but anyway, so we go to this dinosaur store and it's like, how can you not go to a store that's called the dinosaur store? So uh, so we go there and my jaw dropped. That was probably my Star Wars moment was going to this place that sold all kinds of fossils and bones and dinosaur skulls. And I just was like, oh man. And so like, I'm thinking, man, I need to figure out how to get a T-Rex skeleton in my living room or something. <laughs> how cool would that be? Not that it would fit or anything like that. We got a small living room. Uh, but, uh, so cool. Y'all like, I love dinosaur stuff. Before I was into baseball and baseball cards as a kid, I was hardcore into dinosaurs. The way that Atticus is into Star Wars now, so or you know at least was and is now. So it was uh, it was super fun. And I started thinking, man, maybe I want to collect uh, uh, some of these bones and stuff at some point. It was really neat. So, anyways, going back to Facebook here. So if you want to check me out on Facebook, it's Facebook.com, obviously. Uh, and I think it's tanner.jones.52. I, I don't know how they do the naming conventions in the URL, but look me up, follow me there if you want. That's where I post most. And most of my posts are going to be memes. Um, so, and they're G rated or PG rated memes. They're not, there's not going to be anything really that's questionable. Um, it's mainly just fun, family friendly stuff. And so, you know, if you haven't been paying attention, the one thing, which by the way, we've got a new president now, which is crazy. Um, but, uh, one thing that you'll, uh, you know, one of the big things that came out of this whole inauguration is, uh, not necessarily that we have a new president, <laughs> but that Bernie Sanders made, uh, uh, presence and he is now a meme. Oh man, guys, like this was the, the most fun I've had in meme making for, you know, forever. So, uh, I did a bunch of Bernie Sanders memes 
And, uh, and so I posted those up and I had a bunch of people uh, with their family and everything saying, you know, hey, will you please put Bernie Sanders in my family picture and this, that, and the other. So there's like a boatload of people out there with uh, memes that I photoshopped for them with Bernie Sanders in their family profile pictures. Um, so anyways, check it out. Uh, Facebook, uh, tanner.jones.52. Again, I think, I'm not too hard to find, but um, but check it out there. Follow me and, you know, if you like to laugh when you're on Facebook, there's too much political crap going on now. Um, where people are just kind of throwing hate at each other and there's a lot of other filthy stuff going on. So this is, uh, my page is going to be a safe place for you to, um, enjoy with your family. Sometimes on the comments, uh, some people will swear and that sort of thing. But, uh, I try to police as much as I can, um, especially the really bad words, but, um, hope it enhances your day throughout the, uh, throughout your day. If it's, uh, if you're at work or taking care of your kids or anything at home, um, hopefully that'll be a good release. So anyways, bat, uh, going into baseball cards. So first of all, um, at, uh, at vacation, I, one thing that I was really looking for on an auction was, and I've talked about this before, the 1889 Goodwin A35 rounds. And let me tell you about these a little bit. I did a, it was actually my quarantine project from 2020, um, mid 2020, uh, you know, check out on my blog, tanmanbaseballfan.com and click the blog link. And then it's several you know, several articles down now, but, uh, let me tell you about what these A35 Goodwin rounds are. They actually were set in an album and these are big pieces. They are bigger than old judge cabinet cards. Uh, the N173s, they're bigger than the Turkey red T3 cards. Um, you know, these are, these are big round circular pieces with a hole punched out of them on the left. And so, the reason why there's a hole punched on the left is because um, they would, in order to bind these albums, they would put a metal clasp or a little thin piece of rope or something, and they were meant to be fanned out, not to be uh, looked through as an actual you know, standard album or anything. So now they're different though, because they rarely, if ever, show up uh, online for sale. Uh, so in 2020, I think March or April-ish, um, Mile High Card Company with uh, you know uh, Brian Durant, that's his uh, his company. They offered an entire set. It was like it wasn't the greatest condition because there's some that that were torn from the clasp and that sort of thing. But the actual um, uh, the actual lithography was beautiful on these guys. Like these are considered the most premium lithograph pieces ever to come out of the 19th century when it comes to baseball cards um, or, you know, baseball supplements or whatever you want to call them, baseball premiums. Um, so, and they're kind of interesting because, you know, I, I've talked about this a little bit before, but I want to bring it up again. It's uh, it's interesting to me, the, the history behind all these. So in 1886, of course, I think we start seeing the first old judge cards, which they you know took photographs of cabinet photos, and then they uh, put them in a 24 matrix uh, uh, setting and they you know chopped them up and they glued basically the photographs to the cardboard backing or the cardboard stiffener of the cigarette packs and they put one per pack um, so old judge what they would do is they would um, say okay if you if you collect X number of coupons or whatever uh, you can send them into us and you can get a premium now, these premiums could be, for old judge, for instance, they would be cabinet uh, cards. 
And these are N173s. Uh, that's the catalog designation form as opposed to the old Judge, which is N172. And they are much larger. They're kind of like uh, closer to the size of Turkey Reds, but not as big. Um, and so I think of them as like almost like a four by six or something. I don't know the exact dimensions, but they're significantly bigger than cigarette cards. Um, Allen and Ginter um, in 1888, it, it, they're, they're actually miscatalogued in many places, 1887, they're probably 1888. Uh, you know, they kind of countered uh, what old Judge was doing and they said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna come out with these beautiful full color lithographs, uh, cigarette cards are same size uh, basically, but they're going to be full color. They're beautiful, and it's going to be of you know all the world champions. It's like a set of fifty or something. Um, so you know, it's it's like they upped the ante a little bit. Um, they instead of old judge who offered uh, like thirty five hundred different players and counting. By the way, like they'll they'll still find new variations from time to time. Um, Alan Ginner has ten uh, baseball players. That's it. So thirty five hundred plus versus ten. Um, the Allen and Ginners are, are much easier to find of, you know, per player. Whereas old judge, you might have like, you might only see like a handful of one certain type of card ever. Um, Allen and Ginner, there's, you know, you'll have like a, a King Kelly or Cap Anson. I mean, I think they're great at PSA, uh, 150, 180 times or something. So, so rare. Yeah, they're, they're certainly rare. There's a market that's much larger than the pop report, uh, you know, shows them as having out there. But when it comes to old judge cards, there might be some that are like, have a pop of like two or three or five or 10 or whatever. So anyways, Allen Ginner, uh, they operate the same way. They uh, said, hey, you want some coupons? Guess what you can get? You can get a full color album. And the album is bound by rope and you know, you can have, you can glue in your cards and uh, you know, everything will be fantastic. It'll be a nice little collection. Um, so good one. They, I think they had to do with old judge or whatever. They said, okay, well, anything you could do, I could do better. Um, they came out with, in 1888, uh, N162, I think is the, is the designation, um, Goodwin cards. And so these were also full color lithographs, but they were they, they had more color. They had more background uh, color and, uh, and that sort of thing. And so like, of course, the, the Captain Jack Glasscock cards got a picture, which is, by the way, one of my favorite 19th century cards has him um, as I think Glasscock played, if I remember correctly, second base or shortstop. Anyways, it shows him what looks to be in like a park with a beach in the background and he's like about to field uh, a ball. His his nickname was Pebbly Jack because he would uh, uh, scour the ground for little pebbles to put in his pocket so that way a baseball wouldn't you know hit a bad hop or something. He doesn't have a glove on. I mean, it's just everything is so charming about that card. Uh, the King Kelly, Another one's got this beautiful background. It's an iconic card. It has a stormy background because allegedly that was uh, the artist to that because of his stormy personality. Um, another one, another thing which is kind of fun is uh, Cap Anson. Uh, it's got a beautiful sunset in the background. And so allegedly, this is why I was told, is the artist did this because um, uh, of his, him being in the sunset of his career. I was actually called out by some internet troll guy on Twitter saying, you know, uh, well, that's interesting because guess what? He, uh, you know, he still had uh, several seasons that he batted 300 or more. And, you know, he 
was hardly about to retire, so that's probably not what it is. So it's like, oh, okay, well, this, this random internet person wants to argue or something. Yeah, I'm not into arguing or whatever, but I look and it turns out it's Keith Olbermann. <laughs> so Keith Olbermann was the one that was telling me about this. So I go, oh, okay. And sure enough, he was right. So I'm not really sure exactly why the artist made the sunset in the background for Cap Anson. Maybe it is because they thought that he was about to retire. I just don't know. Um, but anyways, it made for a fun story that Keith Elberman, um, you know, responded to, to this picture that I posted of, uh, of, uh, the cap ants and that, that I photoshopped on top of a, uh, I think it was a Monet painting, which is just beautiful. It just went marvelously together. Um, and by the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at tan man, I'm sorry, at tan man BB fan. They wouldn't let me put the whole thing in Twitter for the handle. So at tan man BB fan if you want to follow me there. So, um, anyways, so going forward to, you know, talk about these, uh, A35s, the rounds, the way that they were offered as well was by sending in coupons. So these things, guys, like they are very, um, they're very nice pieces. They're very nice, like art pieces almost. And I, I suspect that there are two things that has working against them. Number one, they're hardly ever for sale. They just like, most people don't even know what these things are. Number two, they're huge and awkward. They're, they're circles, they're discs. How do you display a disc nicely? You know, so as collectors, we are conditioned to have all of our collectibles in rectangular format, basically. <laughs> and it's easy to, to store and display and, and everything. So back in 2020, what I did is I created these, this kind of like an invention of a, it, it's not a frame, it, it's actually a part, it becomes part of the art piece itself where there's a tray that slides into this piece that I actually um, designed and had printed on plexiglass where you can have this tray that's removable, there's no screws or anything, it's, so it's not like a screw down hold or anything. Um, everything is, is like one solid piece basically um, that's been affixed uh, inside with, uh, with adhesive. But you can actually slide in and out the A35 round itself. Uh, and so just check out, you know, check out my website, tamanbaseballfan.com in the blog section. It's called like my quarantine project, I think. Um, you'll get pictures there. You'll see what I'm talking about there. They look really cool when they're displayed. So one of the problems I had though with my set is the King Kelly hat was ripped probably worse than the others at the clasp. And there was from, uh, there's some uh, paper loss. Not on the lithography though, like so it it still displays amazingly. Like and plus the way that I designed the the frame, uh, you don't even see the tear. So it is a beautiful piece, and it's actually going to be up for sale or trade at some point if anybody's interested. So the King Kelly, um, and uh, and the reason why it's up for sale or trade or will be, is because on eBay. Uh, and it's, that's why I'm telling this whole story is because somebody actually posted an entire set of these minus the covers. Um, and so they sold them one at a time at auction. I was super excited about this, but I was also really nervous. I didn't know how they're going to go, uh, how they're going to sell. So it turned out they, they ended up selling for close to what I got mine for, um, all together. Maybe. Yeah. And yeah, I think that you know, the seller probably could have done a much better job of, I don't want to say anything bad about the seller. It's just, they, they didn't know what these were, you know? So 
if these are properly marketed, I think that these pieces can easily go for two or three times what they sold for uh, legitimately. I mean, I think that's how much I believe in these pieces. They are amazing. So anyways, I bid on almost all of them uh, just to, you know, for upgrades, I knew I could do something with them. I lost out on every single one of them except for the King Kelly. And the King Kelly is a beautiful piece. Um, and so I'm going to be upgrading with that one and I'm, I'm really excited. It's funny because I was actually at the pool, uh, as a heated pool at the hotel that we had. Um, and before getting in, I was, I was sitting there kind of like waiting for the countdown, you know, am I going to win this or not? You know? And so I ended up finding out that I, that I won the piece and I, but I lost the cap Anson, which is okay because the cap Anson was probably similar to the, the condition of the one that I have now. Um, but you know, I was really pumped to get that King Kelly. So I'm, I'm waiting for that to come in. So, um, anyways, yeah, like I said, if you're interested in this piece, um, that I'm going, going to sell or trade, let me know for sure. So, um, another thing that happened, which this just happened yesterday, unfortunate, terrible news is, uh, Hank Aaron passed away. And so, you know, we've lost a lot of, uh, a lot of baseball greats recently. So we've, all right. To, uh, what comes to mind real quick is Tommy Lasorda, of course, uh, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bob Gibson uh, did a few months ago, if I remember correctly. Um, I feel like Whitey Ford, maybe. So, like, there's just a lot of these guys that are just passing away. And, um, you know, Hank Aaron, of course, you know, the the non-steroid home run king, I guess you could call. Uh, you guess, I guess you could call him um, if you have a problem with, with Barry Bonds having the, having the title. Um, you know, sounded like a great guy, you know, and, and man, the, the adversity that he had to go through to get through the, uh, to the majors, um, you know, that's, it's, it's incredible. So he, he had a, he had a fabulous career. I think I looked up that he had like well over 3000 hits. Um, I mean, just, uh, you know, just an incredible, incredible work ethic and like, you know, in Hank Aaron, he never, I don't think he ever hit 50 home runs in a season. I could be wrong. Um, I think the most he hit was 45. I mean, I've got, I'm going off of memory guys. Uh, I think, he, I think he only did that like once or twice. So he wasn't this guy that was like, okay, I'm going to hit 60 this year or whatever. He was, he was, uh, he was a workhorse and he had uh, compiled. I want to say he's a compiler because look, he had 755 home runs. Um, but in many ways, um, you know, you, you liken him almost to, or you liken, you can liken Jim Tomei almost to Hank Aaron, but not necessarily on the same level, of course, um, where he was consistent. He was ridiculously good year in and year out. Just, just a phenomenal guy, phenomenal player. And so, you know, that's, uh, we suffered a great loss, I think, um, with, uh, with losing Hank Aaron. But, uh, you know, so the thing is, 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 you know, whenever I heard about this, I heard about this yesterday morning. And so it probably hit the news maybe an hour or two prior. And I go, huh, I'm going to check on eBay just to see what's out there uh, for his rookie, a 1954 Topps Hank Aaron. I had a Hank Aaron rookie last year, and it's one of the several that I sold. Um, and so I was like, well, I'd like to, it, and honestly, guys, like it wasn't even on my radar, okay? It just wasn't, uh, it wasn't a card that was on my radar until you know, he passed away. And I think, well, maybe I should take a look at this now because uh, when, when people pass away, like it, crazy things happen with the prices. So let me see what's out there. And so I take a look and, and when it comes to any key card, 
that's vintage at least, that's on eBay, it's gonna be priced higher. There's a reason why it's not sold already is because they are priced higher. And, and so that's what happens with almost all the key cards. So I noticed there are a handful of them out there and it's like, okay, well, let me take a look and see if there's anything at all. And I go, oh man, there's everything's everything's overpriced compared to the comps, which again, I understand, you know, I figured that was gonna be the case. And I found one, I was like, well, let me see if I can reach out to this guy and, and you know, quote unquote reason with him a little bit, right? And say like, hey, listen, here's what the last one sold. Um, can you do a little better? And I was thinking about putting one of these in my collection. So I do that, I hit refresh, and the card's gone. Like, ha, what are the odds? This card has probably been sitting for like weeks or months or something, and now it's gone. Well, because Aaron passed away. Um, so I go to another one. I'm like, well, this is a little bit higher price, but let me see what this guy says anyways. Doesn't hurt in asking. I hit refresh, it's gone. I'm like, what is going on? It's like the ground was was uh, being eaten up underneath me. And so I finally take a look at this other one. It's like $10,000. There's no way I was going to get, you know, $10,000 into a Hank Aaron rookie because, uh, you know, look, I mean, I, I had probably 1500 into mine that I had last year or something. And so, which, you know, worth way more now. Um, but anyway, so I look at it as like, well, I'm not going to get this, but there's no way this sells uh, at this price anyways. I hit refresh and the seller changed it from $10,000 to $20,000. I go, oh man. And so, uh, you know, and so you hear this, uh, the first thing you might be thinking is, oh, these uh, these guys that are just gouging because of uh, him passing away or whatever. Uh, and there's some, some extreme hate that people have for people that raise their prices and that and the other. Um, I, I don't really take a hard, uh, I don't take a hard line against that sort of thing. I just kind of sit back and, you know, look what they do and just objectively and say, well, listen, they think that the market's going to bear more for this. So of course they're going to get more money and they're going to try to price appropriately. So I understand it's unfortunate for me on this side of things, because if I want to buy one, it's possible that I may never have another chance to buy a Hank Aaron rookie card based upon the price that I'd be willing to pay. Uh, for it. And so that's another point that I wanted to bring up in this podcast. So guys is it's kind of funny how, how hard it is for us to readjust our sales when a card skyrockets. And by the way, you look at the sales history on 54 tops, Hank Aaron's now like within a couple hours or something yesterday of the news, tons of Hank Aaron cards were not just listed, but sold <laughs> like one of them had uh, one of them was just listed that I noticed uh, yesterday afternoon and I clicked on it, it was a new listing. I go, oh, okay, well, let's, let's see what this is. And it said like 684 people were looking at it per hour or something, um, which is astronomically high. I click on the make offer button. It said there are seven competing offers. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It, it, was, it was just kind of an interesting observation to uh, be a buyer that's, you know, kind of interested, not really majorly hot to trot on this card, but, you know, but wanted one at least enough to take a look and to see what happened in real time, you know, what happened, um, you know, clicking on a card that I was interested in, refreshing, seeing that's gone and having that happen multiple times, looking at the new, uh, new listings with the higher pricing, um, 
watching one that's ten thousand dollars actually double to twenty thousand dollars of rest offer which by the way that just means that somebody probably doesn't want to sell their card but they would be happy to take 20 grand from someone <laughs> if they were willing to sell uh for that so i mean you know who wouldn't right but anyway so so yeah that was that was kind of interesting to be a part of it would have been a lot more fun if i was able to find one at a reasonable price uh and lock one in but it didn't work out um unfortunately but that's just how it goes so going back to what i was saying in, uh, in terms of adjusting our sales there's been a lot of things that we've had to adjust our sales for uh, uh, for the last, and when I say sales, S-A-I-L-S, not S-A-L-E-S. Um, I guess I probably should have uh, specified that. But um, when it comes to baseball cards in general in this past year, because we're used to a certain price, a certain value on certain cards. And if we miss out on something or we don't pull the trigger on a card that's like lower priced, we're going to you know, psychologically kind of price ourselves out of that card in the future. And so, um, you know, Jackie Robinson, I think would be a good, a, a good example. Like I think I picked up a PSA one last year for like $1,700 and guys that, you know, I don't have it anymore, you know, it's, and it's like quadrupled or, or whatever. So it's, it's gone nuts. And so I'm having a very difficult time finding one that's, uh, that I'm going to, be okay with in getting now because you know me looking back going oh man I just paid 1700 or whatever a year ago How, that's crazy I don't think these cards are ever going to go down the, the key vintage by the way I think there's a uh, huge potential for a lot of the new cards to go down depending on the player and everything of course um, but I don't think there's much more of a solid sure thing than you know key vintage uh, but even like the 89 Upper Deck Griffey, I mean, I picked one up and I've, I've talked about this a number of times. Um, yeah, <laughs> like I think I got it for 450 and I sold it for, oh, 500. I don't know. Like, I, so I made a little bit of money off of it, but then it skyrockets, goes to 1500. Now it's on the move again. I think it's hitting like three grand now, which is insane to me. Like I don't, you know, I think that's nuts. Um, but, you know, let's face it, it's the most iconic card of the 80s. Uh, speaking of some of the most iconic cards in the 80s, um, the uh, 86 Donruss Ray Rookie Canseco. I mean, you know, that was at 100 bucks or something for, for a PSA 10 for a while. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, I think the last handful of sales might be in the five to $600 range. So that's on the move again. Um, you know, this hobby's crazy, guys. Like, there, there are a lot of different things that are happening. Um, I still uh, maintain my belief that vintage is is number one in all this, especially the key stuff. And so uh, I had a buddy tell me that it, it kind of stuck with me. He said, uh, when you think of, of baseball cards, you think of the guys getting the new shiny cards, the autographs, the superfractors, the refractors, which... By the way, when it comes to Canseco cards, that's me, right? Like, I love those those high-end Canseco cards. Um, but even, like, these 17-year-old guys, or I don't really I don't know anything about these guys here, but um, you think of them in a casino, and they're at the front, uh, you know, putting their money in the uh, in those machines. I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> I, my, my lack of gambling... Uh, knowledge is is really showing through here but you know they're they're at these machines they're putting their quarters in over and over and over thousands of dollars and yay look at me i i won this that and the other the vintage guys they're the ones that are they're in the high stakes card table in the back room and 
and it's quiet and they've got their bourbon, which, you know, I don't drink. So maybe it's a Dr. Pepper. I don't know. Um, and they got their cigar. I don't smoke either. So maybe it's chewing gum. I'm not sure. Maybe it's like a burger. I don't know. Um, and so they're, so these are the guys that are vintage. They're quiet. Uh, they make these big moves and that's, that's really kind of what I've seen. So, um, I'm kind of what I do with vintage. I'm kind of the antithesis of what everybody else does in this hobby. I'm, I'm kind of vocal about the vintage stuff because I love it. And I, I just, I want people to, I want these guys in that are just coming into the hobby to realize how fascinating, uh, vintage baseball cards are like their actual history. It's actual art. Um, uh, it's not, they're not pieces of cardboard that are manufactured, you know, a month ago or something and, and manufactured to be scarce or something. Um, you know, so I, I'm a big believer in vintage and I love these vintage cards guys. Like they are so fun to have. They're just so fun to display and to look at and to, you, you almost feel sometimes like you're not worthy to have these pieces. Like they should be in a museum or something. Um, and you look at, at some of these cards realizing like 1915 Cracker Jack, I mean, put, put out during time of World War One. um, you know, paper was scarce and, you know, you have all these, these things that they had to go about to try to get these, uh, get these printed and, you know, the deep red background. I mean, everything is just so, so wonderful about them. The T206 cards, um, little works of, uh, of art. I mean, just amazing history and everything and they weren't meant to be these high-end pieces guys like a lot of people threw these things away you know they just didn't care about them like that you know these are these are kids pieces and and so here we are as adults over a century later um you know looking for these in in you know nice condition and uh and paying top dollar for them and everything and so uh, I just, I love everything about vintage, especially the key cards guys. Like it's just, it's incredible. Um, it's been really fun. It's been a really fun year and a half, uh, you know, kind of discovering what's out there and it really feels like a different hobby to be honest with you compared to like the newer cards, but it's fun. It's parallel enough where you can kind of have your foot in both worlds, have your feet in both worlds, um, and get two different types of enjoyment, if that makes sense. Um, in which by the way, you know, we, we get all kinds of people that are super pumped about, uh, about the new cards and the Mike Trout super fractor sets a world record. Um, and I started thinking, you know, for the highest card that's ever sold, I was thinking, man, if everybody just knew, uh, what would happen if a, if a higher grade T206 Wagner came out for auction, it would just smash that trout record. Well, guess what? You know, this last week or two, uh, 52 tops mantle PSA 9, not even a 10, uh, obliterated the record. I mean, I think it went up to like 5.1, 5.2 million dollars. Um, you know, so there's, there's some big things going on with vintage, but again, these guys are in the back room, the high stakes, uh, poker table and, uh, and they're keeping their mouth shut. They're quiet. And so you see these things happen. It's like, whoa, it's like, don't look now, but these cards are like doing really, really well. Um, you know, the 52 tops mantle, all the lower grades, they seem to be, um, be on the rise as well. The 33 Ruths, the worldwide gums, the Gowdies, they, they seem to be on the rise. Um, and so that's where my money, um, is, is being put right now is, is these, these key cards. And so that's kind of what I would recommend, but that said, 
don't take my word for it, you guys. Like I'm, uh, if you talked to me in February or March of 2020, I would have said, get out of all of your PSA 10 stuff. <laughs> I would say, uh, get out of all of your graded stuff by PSA and everything. Um, and buckle down because we've got a pandemic that we're going through. There's all kinds of uh, scandal stuff going on with PSA. And if I told you all that, like I would have boatloads of people banging down my door saying, how dare you? You made me lose all kinds of money. So, <laughs> so don't take my word for it. You know, go with your gut, you know, but my gut says that vintage is a, is, is a great place to, to be right now. And, uh, and you know, I don't think I'm really going to be buying a whole lot more myself. I only got I only have like probably 20 or 30 cards that are not Conseco. Um, but the cards I do have, I enjoy immensely. And that's kind of been my my motto this whole time is is buy the cards that you're white hot in love with. You know, not not the cards that you're lukewarm about or whatever. Um, you know, if you really uh, uh, you know, are a big fan of collecting and everything, the most joy you get is probably going to be chasing the ones that you really, really love and uh and make big moves and and you know a lot of people say well you know i don't have money to to make big moves i don't know how to do this i can't do this well you know like i said i'm here to help um and try to help through email when i have people email their their stories or their questions i um i could do that through there or through twitter um i try to help in whatever way i can also through this podcast and through youtube uh to educate you and what i know um, but one of the quick ways to, to go from having a collection you like to a collection that you love is selling the cards that you just like or selling the cards that you, you know, don't really care about too much. Save those pennies and then put that into something big that you really do love. Um, I think that's, uh, that's kind of the, uh, the question all the time when it comes to collecting. Do you want 20 cards that you think are really cool or do you want one card that you just think is like, man, this blows the doors off of everything, you know? So, so that's kind of where, where my thinking is. Like, I want those cards that just kind of wow me that just absolutely wow me. And so anybody can get those. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean it's a card that's worth a thousand dollars or $10,000. It could be a card that's worth a hundred dollars or $50. There's a lot of really neat stuff out there and it doesn't have to be like super high end, super duper expensive uh, stuff either. So that might mean, you know, the apple of your eye could be like a, a $60 card. And that means that you have to sell a boatload of cards to get to the $60. I mean, that's the, the hobby scalable. Like there's so many super neat cards. There are cards that I have, they're like $10. I'm just absolutely in love with, <laughs> you know? So, so it really just doesn't matter about price as much as how much you love it yourself. So anyways, I know that this is like a podcast of rabbit trails and half of it was probably not having to do with baseball anyway, but um, I hope this helps uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, definitely, like I said before, um, go through your collection, you know, go through, uh, uh, put two piles, put the, you know, make two piles, one pile of cards that you absolutely love, one pile of cards that you could stand selling and, and try to sell those and, and go after cards that you really like. But man, you guys, like I really suggest looking at vintage and and getting a few especially even even like some 19th century cards just to have one year collection or something um you know if you can afford the the super new stuff like a box or something you could probably afford some lower end 19th century stuff so anyways i uh, thank you guys for listening as always i hope you all have a fantastic rest of the day